Hey guys, Joe Galvin here. Growing up in Illinois, one of the things that I always read and heard about was the Madagascar of Matin. The story goes that towards the end of World War II, a man woke up in the middle of the night, feeling ill and getting the overwhelming smell of gas. So he woke up his wife and asked her if she had left it running, and when she tried to get up to check, she along with her husband realized that they were both paralyzed, and it wasn't until a couple of hours later that they were able to regain mobility and go to the hospital only to be dismissed by the medical team. Within the next few days, a handful of people reported identical happenings of paralysis that all began with a sweet penetrating odor. The gas they claimed made them feel sick and ultimately paralyzed. Soon enough, fear overtook the town, with gossip going around saying that it could be anything from an insane asylum escapee to a secret Nazi infiltration program. The entirety of the town took up arms and became full-time vigilantes, and eventually it got so bad that the government actually had to send in the FBI to investigate. Oddly enough, the attacks continued to occur regularly, yet no one could ever find proof or a suspect. And even weirder yet, as soon as they came, the attacks suddenly stopped overnight. And after a long investigation, the PD and FBI came to the official verdict that the gasser never even existed. It was all mass hysteria, they claimed. Obviously, not a lot of the townspeople bought into it, and to this day, they're still trying to figure out what happened. Some people claim it was Nazis, others have gone to say it was aliens. Some simply are content with saying that it was the government experimenting war technology on the civilians. I guess we'll never know. Have you heard the story of and written on the wall? And everyone blood. has the different stories of, oh, this happened to my brother. This Mister telling you stories of the old. There was this girl. It was back when we were little kids. To find out the truth regarding one of the most enduring tales in American lore. A story behind the story. Because it's just a story. Hello and welcome to the Just A Story Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Sam. And we're here to tell you a story. Each week we take a look at the stories that we tell over and over again. What our fears and fables, myths and misdeeds say about us as humans. And welcome all of our listeners back. Thanks for coming back and joining us again. In this glorious new year. It's going well so far. Hooray. Hooray. Let's keep it up, folks. I hope we don't have to go back and edit this out. Me too. Says the pessimist. But anyway, you're all lovely humans with your fears and your fables and your myths and your misdeeds. And we've been really excited to get some feedback from people. We've been getting a lot of stories submitted over the Urban Legend Hotline. Yes, and please continue to do that. We love hearing all of your interesting stories, whether they be weird things you've heard around the campfire, bar stools. Campfire bar stools? Are there campfire bar stools? That sounds awesome. There could be. Or were you putting commas? Commas. Oh. This is why punctuation is important. It's key. And so if you would like to tell us things that you've heard on your campfire bar stools, if you're that cool and lucky, you may give us a call at the Urban Legend Hotline, and that number is 512-222-3375. And leave us a voicemail with your interesting story. Also, you can reach out to us through email, just storypod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at just a story pod, where we post fun things about this week's episode throughout the week, along with other interesting topics. We also have our website, justastorypod.com. That's where all my artwork lives. It's super fun. And you can also find us on Instagram, like all the young kids are doing and whatnot, and on Facebook. And that's all just a story pod. And if you are an international listener, 
That means you don't live in these Trumpian United States, you lucky, lucky dogs. And you want to reach out to us and send a story to us, you can easily record it on your voice memos on your phone and just email it. Because we've had a couple of people come up with that issue lately. Definitely. Also, on our website, you'll find links to our merch store. Merch! We have merch. That means we're legit. Too legit to quit. That's what our shirts say. Yep, that's it. Go buy one. No, they don't. They don't say that. But you should go buy one. We also have like bags and swag and things. So go check that out. So that's one way to help support the show. Also, another way to help support the show is our Patreon. That's true. We have a Patreon and we also have patrons and we want to thank a new one. Yes, Ms. Erin Rowe is one of our new patrons and she pledged the level where she'll be joining us for an online meetup that we'll be having in the coming months. In the virtual realities, like Tron. It's going to be like Tron. Ooh, light cycles. Ooh. You just want to go to Tron because Jeff Bridges is there. He's my spirit animal. You have weird old man crushes. I do. I really do. (laughs) They're so varied. What would Freud say about that? Well, (laughs) this week, no. (laughs) On there, you can also find other fun rewards and access to some Patreon-exclusive episodes. Minisodes. Minicasts. Baby pods. Just the stories. We take a look at the historical context of stories kind of as they happened and look at some weird, wacky, stranger-than-fiction moments that have happened throughout history. And we'll have a new one up very soon. And so, you know, you, you mentioned the urban legend hotline and we had a call into the urban legend hotline that piqued our interest and it was about the mad gasser of Mattoon. Wow. That is such an unfortunate moniker. If only they could have come up with something more romantic. Some people call him the mad anethesist. I saw one in a newspaper I was looking at from the time that was the Gardenia Gas Prowler. Oh. Isn't that lovely? I could see that on the cover of a... Romance novel. Or an indie van. Lots of things we talk about could be names of indie vans. <laughs> so true. So this is a story that starts in real life. <laughs> Where else would it start? In fiction. In the imagination? Yes. Come with me and you'll see. So on September 1st, Miss Aline Kearney was at her home sleeping with her daughter when they started to smell a strong sweet odor around 11 p.m. Now the odor became stronger and Miss Kearney began to feel sick and lose feeling in her legs. She panicked and screamed. Her sister, Martha Reedy, came into the room and also smelled the odor, but reportedly did not have any symptoms. They determined it was coming from the bedroom window. Initially, They had thought maybe it was the smell of flowers outside of the window because it was a very sweet smell. Because they didn't think that once they started feeling very ill. Flowers generally don't make you sick. Well, some people they do. So police came and found nothing. They did call her husband, who is a taxi driver, who came home around 1230. Whenever he drove up, he saw an unidentified man lurking outside the bedroom window. He was described as tall and thin, dressed in dark clothing, and wearing a tight-fitting cap. So, of course, being the man of the house, he took Chase. Right. I'm sure he had a gun and an eagle and a copy of the Constitution as he followed the assailant. Definitely. But, unfortunately, 
He was not able to capture this prowler. So a tall, sharply dressed prowler who is also quite an athlete and a genius because he can make gas that makes people pass out. Or steal it. But he knows how to do it. Spray something. He could push a button. He has a brain. We're not dealing with a scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz. Well, so the athlete part, there was a four foot picket fence surrounding the house. So somehow he was able to get over that fence before Mr. Kearney could capture him. Now, Miss Kearney did report some burning sensations on her lips and throat. And they were very concerned about who this prowler could be. They thought maybe he could be, you know, some kind of peeping Tom. But of course he was spraying gas. Or maybe he could be a robber because they'd recently been counting a substantial sum of cash at the house. And they said that they probably could have been seen through the windows, which let's give these ladies a You Might Be Scarecrows award. Like, why do they have this large sum of cash? It was a government check. What the hell does that mean? I don't know. This, to me, is more mysterious than the Mad Gasser. I think we're looking at two lady robbers, Bonnie and Bonnie. Also the name of a historical romance novel. Or? An indie band. We're going to keep doing that a lot this episode, I have a feeling. So to be precise, the man was only described as tall in this report. The thin was added later. But I have to say that we get to see an American tradition in action. So in swoops, the Journal Gazette of Mattoon, Illinois, to make things worse. That's right, folks. The media has been making things worse for a long time. The press is exacerbating something? Yes. Yes. So with deft skill, they announce that the first victims of the Prowler have been found. Yes, Miss Kearney and daughter, first victims. Why first? Oh, I don't know. It just sounds so good. Wouldn't you want to read the paper? Yeah, I guess. But I would also like just wonder what was running through the person's mind who was like, well, clearly there will be more. That strikes me as very odd. Let's take a look at uh, how they carry through with this. Both recover. Robber fails to get into home. Lots of assumptions. A prowler who used some kind of anesthetic or gas to knock out his intended victims was on the loose in Mattoon Friday night. Miss Bert Kearney and her three-year-old daughter, Dorothy Ellen, were victims of the anesthetic Friday night as they slept in bed at their home. Both recovered today, although Miss Kearney said her mouth and throat remained parched and her lips burned from the effects of whatever was used by the prowler who was unsuccessful in getting into the house. We don't know he was trying to get into the house. (laughs) They don't know that there was a prowler. It could have been like some weird gas. Something could have broken outside their window. There is no reason. I guess because Kearney saw him, the uh, the guy. Right. He was seen. He doesn't say, oh, natural gas leak. Right. Okay. So that actually does sum that up for me. That cleans that up a little. You have this much more credit. Gazette. Got my eye on you. Anyway. Um, so here's what happened, they say. Miss Kearney told the following story. It was shortly after 11 o'clock on Friday night. Went to bed, taking Dorothy, my daughter, with me. My sister, Mrs. Edgar Reedy, was in the living room of the home. And my daughter, Carol, and her son, Roger, were in another part of the house. I first noticed a sickening sweet odor in the bedroom, but at the time thought that it might be flowers outside the window. However, the odor grew stronger and I began to feel a paralysis of my legs and lower body. I grew frightened and screamed for Martha. She came into the bedroom, to which the door had been closed, and asked me what was the matter. I told her of the sensation I had, but I was unable 
then to move from bed. Mrs. Reedy at once noticed the odor, which seemed to come in an open window. She summoned a next-door neighbor, who called the police. Mr. Robertson went to the Kearney home and searched the yard in the neighborhood, but could find no trace of the prowler. Police also searched without success. But our dashing hero, all I can think about because he's a taxi driver, is Andy Kaufman doing, Here I come to save the, the Mighty Mouse thing. And he was in taxi. I know, that's why. But he was a mechanic. I know. But still, taxi and like here, sorry, I digress. The prowler returned to the house about 1230 o'clock and was seen at the bedroom window again by Mr. Kearney, a taxi cab driver, as he came home after word had been sent to him concerning the earlier events. Mr. Kearney said that he arrived in the front of the house. He saw a man at the window. He gave chase, but the prowler escaped. The prowler was tall, dressed in dark clothing and wore a tight fitting cap, Mr. Kearney said. So this guy has been like lurking around for two hours no he left and came back oh of course clearly definitely police were called a second time but another more thorough search of the neighborhood was fruitless miss kearney said that she recovered the use of her legs and arms completely within 30 minutes after the paralysis had set in oh that's nice mm-hmm. it was quick her daughter dorothy became ill from the odor but recovered this morning opinions differed as to the type of anesthetic used However, because of its odor, it was believed to have been chloroform or ether or a combination of both. The ingredients could have been sprayed into the room as a fine mist. If used at a distance not too far from the sleepers, it would have proved effective, it was said. Both cl- Nice citing your sources there. Yeah. Uh, both chloroform and ether would have accounted for the parched throat and mouth burns on Miss Kearney as well as the sickness with which her daughter suffered afterward. Mrs. Kearney and Mrs. Reedy had considerable sums of money at the house and said that they had counted it shortly before Mrs. Kearney went to bed. They could have been seen counting the money from the street, they said. After the prowler was discovered at the house the second time, Mrs. Kearney and Miss Reedy and their children were taken to the home of a relative in another part of the city to spend the night. And here's the address. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't do that. <laughs> I'm shocked. I know. So definitely a great piece of journalism. Of yellow journalism. <laughs> what color is that journalism? It was... It was they call it Mellow Yellow. And just to add to the overall ambiance of this piece on the front page, there's a giant cartoon in the middle of the page that has a skyline of a small town and a giant cloud of like black gassy stuff coming down. And it says Labor Day. I don't understand why that exists. I think it's supposed to look festive, but it looks like something Tim Burton would doodle. Oh, it's disturbing looking. And so there's this cloud of like black gas coming down toward the town right next to this in a completely unrelated yeah i think it's completely unrelated yeah but it it plants some seeds it's weird it's really odd the whole wording of this whole piece is odd it's like they're trying to drum up something slow news week boys but it wasn't it was the end of world war ii you're right it was the end of world war ii there were a few things going on in the world a couple so in September of 1944, World War II was winding down, especially the European front. But a lot of people were worried that the Axis powers were going to have a last-ditch Hail Mary effort to destroy the Allies. And those words were actually used a lot, the Hail Mary. And, I mean, you have to remember, like, at the time that London had been dark for, like, 100 days, it, the Blitz was over, but they were using smaller aircraft, kind of like missile things, and they were living in constant fear, and we could understand the 
reports coming out of there because they were written in English and those were our allies and we had boys over there and that couldn't have been sitting well with people. Right. And so on August 30th, when did that attack occur? That one occurred on September 1st. So the day prior, the neighboring paper, Charleston Daily Courier, carried a United Press story uh, which discussed that Germany could be preparing to use poison gas or was developing a mystery weapon to win the war. Oh, good. And of course, Mattoon was a small little Midwest town. They'd sent many boys off to war. So there were also reports going on that they had recently had an escaped German prisoner. No! It sounds like a like an urban legend, like the maniac escaped from the lunatic asylum. I mean, this is ridiculous. Well, it would be ridiculous, except that the report, well, maybe it still is. Like, if you continue reading the column where the story about Aline's fateful encounter with the flowery gas is, the thing directly under it is Nazi prisoner escapes. Right. If you're reading down the column, you'll read about this, and then you'll read that a Nazi prisoner has escaped and is prowling around. Prowling? Sure. Is he wearing dark clothing? I don't know his wardrobe. I'm sure he is. Do you think they ever wore pastels? I think he was probably wearing a prisoner's uniform or an SS uniform. God willing. (laughs) Sorry, fear of willing. But, you know, this irrational fear is just, it's almost obvious if you think about it, but there's plenty of evidence to support it. So on August 20th, about 10 days prior, there was an advertisement in the Journal Gazette for invasion bonds. What the hell is that? Well, it's like a war bond. But what do you, why invasion? For invasion. But there's no invasion. Not yet. Oh, God. So the ad picture the Grim Reaper, his skeleton hand wrapped around a broadsword. Shut And it said, suppose every man, woman, and child in this town should be killed. And under it, buy your invasion bonds today. Okay, that doesn't offer a solution. It poses a problem and doesn't offer a solution. What is an invasion bond going to do? Supposing they do get killed. Suppose I did kill the Black Dahlia. What? What? Throwback. Like, the only people who talk like this in 1944 are George Hodel and the Grim Reaper. (laughs) Same, same. (gasps) Oh! George O'Dell was the mad gasser of Mattoon. You heard it here first. That's right. Since he's blamed for every other damn Yes, he really is. That's a terrible ad. So without a doubt, there was a huge amount of irrational fear going on at this time. Everyone was scared to death. Everyone was worried about this Hail Mary pass going on. And then you have this incident at the same time that German prisoner escaped of... A gassing of a woman and child. The most innocent of victims. Exactly. Counting their cash. Uh, their mysterious <laughs> government money. What? They were spies. Oh, God, it all makes sense. Or were they working for the Nazis? Were they harboring the escaped prisoner? <gasps> Maybe this man's a patriot. This prowler. So, but those colors don't run, so I guess he wasn't. <laughs> A patriot, because he ran. It's a horrible joke. Don't look at me like that. I can't help it. So this story comes out, and everyone is worried. And people just become more worried because once this hits the press, three more incidents come to light. They do. This is a true fact, supposedly. 
Well, they happened. Did they? Yes. Where's the evidence? Testimony. Okay. So, on August 31st of 1944, Urban Rafe, who has an amazing name, and his wife woke up early in the morning to a strange odor. And Mr. Rafe actually shook his wife awake and was like, Woman, did you leave the oven on? You had one job. Don't make me set you in line. And she said, no, I didn't. But they tried to get up and check. But they felt very nauseated and weak and they vomited some. And the wife tried to do her duty and go look to make sure she hadn't left the oven on. But she found herself partially paralyzed and couldn't get out of bed. Right. And on September 1st, you have the writers with Miss George Ryder told her husband upon him returning from work in the morning that they had noticed this strange odor in the bedroom. Smelled like chloroform. And it caused nausea, vomiting, and restlessness and lightheadedness to her and the kids. I could see you blaming. Like, the kids were terrible today. I smelled this chloroform odor. It smelled like chloroform. Why are you huffing chloroform, honey? Oh, you know. Reasons. But chloroform does have a sweet odor, correct? Right. So it still matches up. And there was also a woman whose name is not reported anywhere um, who had similar symptoms to the Ray family. Um, and her children were ill as well. And they came forward after reading this wonderful, glowingly yellow piece of journalism. So the paper came out. It was on a Friday. And then since it's a tiny little town, there's no paper on the weekends. And then it was Labor Day as the festive, creepy cartoon showed us. <laughs> and then it was September 5th. Five more victims. That's right. This is three days has passed without news coverage. How did people live? Well. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, yeah, the news had no effect on their lives. So five more victims were revealed. And they had occurred prior to September 5th because, you know, there was not real-time news. This is written down on paper. I wish. I know. Carl and Beulah, fabulous name, Cords returned to their home around 10 p.m. And after spending a few minutes in the house, they noticed that there was a piece of white cloth, slightly larger than a man's handkerchief, sitting on their porch next to a screen door. I know that this is just instinct and we can't help ourselves, but when we see things lying around, our first thought is, I should smell that. Oh, definitely. I should smell that. Yeah. I mean, like if you're walking along the sidewalk, you just see something. Like a homeless man. Huh? What? What? I should smell that. No. <laughs> should I not? Do that. Should I not? Stop no? smelling. Okay. How many times have I told you? Stop Seven. smelling homeless, man. It just looks so smellable. I'm like, what is that? I can't be sure. I should smell it. So Beulah smelled it. And then she became violently ill and said she felt like an electric shock had gone through her body. Her Face began to swell and she experienced a burning sensation in her mouth and throat and began to vomit. She reported feeling weak and experiencing partial paralysis of her legs. And later she said that obviously whoever had been prowling about their home had noticed the dog on the family porch. And they had said, well, that dog is going to bark. I need that dog not to bark. I'll just roofie it. Oh, of course. And we'll just leave the cloth. Whoops. Because I'm clever enough to know I don't want the dog to bark. I'm not clever enough to remember to pick up the not a handkerchief. So what happened after she sniffed the cloth and became violently ill? Were they, did they spot the prowler hiding outside the window? No, but a doctor was called and an examination was done. 
it was said that her lips were swollen to the point where they were like bleeding and cracked open. I want to see pictures. I know. And then she like began to spit blood. I want to see evidence. Wait, but there's testimony. Hmm. And they also found a skeleton key. Ominous. Which was well used. Very ominous. And an almost empty tube of lipstick on the sidewalk. Oh my, no one would ever drop their lipstick while walking. No. But the police did pick up a prowler. Really? Or just a man. Okay. I think they saw a homeless man and they were like, pull over, we gotta smell him. Smell this guy. And so they pulled over, they smelled him. He said he was lost. And they said, this tiny little town. And they were like, cool, NBD. You smell awesome. You have a problem. So it continues to escalate. On September 6th, we have seven more victims, including an 11-year-old girl, mm-hmm. this time by herself, not while she was with her parents. Right, but 11-year-olds can catch on to what's going on. That's true. And she did miss several days of school. Nice. Her name was Glenda Hendershot, and I think that kid sounds like a brat. And also a single man in his 50s. And it was also reported that the neighbors saw a tall, thin man running from his house that night. Athletically? Sauntering. Oh, no. Can't be the same guy. I'm thinking like parkour ninja with a gas can. (laughs) That's my description. The next day, on September 7th, we have two women attacked at the same time. Francis and Maxine Smith. And Francis was the principal of the local grade school. And over the course of all this, she and her sister would claim to have been attacked four times. Four times? Yes. They, this guy really had it out for them. To me, that almost makes it more credible. Either that or they were the two nervous Nellies in town. I think that's more credible. So on September 17th, there is a scathing editorial about the police response in the paper, the Daily Journal Gazette. Do they just take all the names? The story of Mattoon's anesthetic prowler is known to one and all. It has even spread from one end of the country to the other, bringing the city a certain questionable distinction. It's a good point that this got picked up by everybody. And why wouldn't it? It's a fabulous story. Probably the only comfort we can get out of this whole situation is that our police department is now alert and is apparently doing everything in its power to solve the case and to take into custody the guilty person. All of us join in hoping for an early success. One of the principal difficulties throughout this has been that the whole matter was taken too lightly. It was easy to say, oh, it's just imagination, and shrug the whole thing off with a disdainful air. Miss Carcords, who suffered severe burns, couldn't laugh about it. Neither could Miss Bert Kearney, who suffered complications which could have cost her very life. Oh, no. Neither could Mrs. George Ryder, whose two youngsters were found vomiting, and who was nauseated herself. Not nausea. No! Neither could any of the other citizens who all had the same terrifying experience. For the past few days, most of our officers have had a serious view of the case. They now admit that it presents a real problem, and they are working hard to find a solution. For their present attitude, most members of the police force deserve commendation. As a matter of fact, their hesitancy in taking a genuine interest in the case at the start should not be considered a new reflection upon them. This is an attitude which has grown in the police department for several months. For this reason, there has been a tendency in Mattoon police circles recently to conceal from the public the fact that certain crimes have occurred. Calling them out. (laughs) I know. 
There are comparatively few types of crimes where any advantage can be gained by suppressing news or pretending to ignore the offense. The simplest reasoning tells us that any criminal realizes his crime is going to be detected and that he will be hunted. This actual result of ignoring the crime, almost invariable, is loss of public confidence in the officers. Yes, they're really calling the police out for not finding this guy. So we do see, continue to see more cases, entire households being gassed the next day, and everyone, including the men and house guests, had symptoms. But there was that concern, like, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about this prowler? I mean, people were dead bolting their doors. It was a small town. Right, and it was September, and they were having to sleep with their windows closed, Damn. which... hot. I would rather smell gardenias than that. Muggy, muggy houses. Yeah, so people started sleeping on their second floor rooms if they had second floors or with their windows closed or in windowless rooms. Strategy. And the Chicago Daily News reported that at least 50 persons slept with loaded shotguns by their beds. My oh my. And they did. They did start to find some things such as torn window screens or footprints outside of the windows. So, this is looking legit. There was even a rumor. Not a rumor! That sample gases used in training air raid wardens had been misapprehended. Misapprehended is a really long word for a rumor. So, one paper said, All skepticism has vanished, and Mattoon grimly concedes it must fight haphazardly against a demented phantom adversary. Wow. So the FBI comes. Yes, they do. They're not there to apprehend the mad gasser. Oh, no. They're there to find out what he's using. Like, can we borrow this? This this is great. We have a project we're going to be working on in a few years, and I just think this would go really well with LSD. It's the CIA. They're buddies. They talk around campfire bar stools. You know it. I want a campfire bar stool. We have them. That's where we are now. You're right. So they start to have dragnets of state police squads. There were five at one time. Everyone is vigilant. Yeah, no, vigilant. I mean, they start to have these roaming bands of citizens with guns. Goon squads. Yeah, going about trying to find the mad gasser. The commissioner even said it to a businessman's meeting once about this, that someone's going to get killed and it won't be by the gas. The people here have lost control of themselves in a manner which is almost unbelievable in a modern world. I wouldn't walk through anyone's backyard for $10,000. Does it say God help an exterminator? Right? The chief of police, C.E. Cole, also warned concerned citizens to exercise due restraint when carrying or discharging firearms. What is due restraint? Don't shoot random people that are walking by your house. How do you know they're random people? He's tall and thin and wearing black. Ah! Emos are dead. Done for. Also, you know, this is good to know. The Anti-Horse Theft Association offered their assistance because they had experience in the form of Catching prowlers, livestock rustlers, and chicken thieves. Chicken thieves? No! No! Not chicken thieves. Anything. I love that the report said it is unknown whether they were taken up on their offer. Foghorn Leghorn endorses this this here alpha to to apprehend the mad gas of a tomb. They kept me from getting stolen so many times. So, now that the Anti-Chicken Thievery League... Or Foghorn Leghorn's personal bodyguards, as I will now think of them, 
is on the case. Thank I, God. I feel certain that we will have at least one suspect in custody soon. Well, and the police are being called out. Everyone's going like, why haven't you caught anybody? What's going on? We need justice. So, For nausea. Well, it's more than that. It's more than that. If you think this is happening, I mean, there's someone, he's trying to do something. What's he doing? What's he building in there? So, Chief Cole had two hypotheses. Two? One, that it was a sex fiend. Oh, well, it was the 40s. I mean, yeah. Especially since it was women in their bedrooms, often alone. Oh, yeah, it's saucy. And, or that it was a scientist that had gone berserk who manufactured gases in a lab. Or some combination thereof. Right. He's like, I brought you flowers smell. Why do you want the real flowers? I don't understand. Why don't you love me? So a sex fiend or mad scientist. Okay, well, those were the two boogeymen. So oddly enough, they drum up a few of those. Oh, in Mattoon? Yes. Wow. So Mattoon is a town of less than 20,000 people. So there's bound to be like, what, at least two of each. There's got it. There's always the crazy scientist, always the crazy sex fiend. Everyone knows that. So they bring in Doc Brown exactly. and one other guy, a sweet transvestite from Transylvania and Doc Brown, and bring them in. I guess so. One of the first people brought in was a youth who had peeping Tom tendencies. Are they tendencies? Like, if you're peeping, aren't you a peeping Tom? I don't know what makes it like tendencies and pro. I don't know. Good news. Good news. He was given a lie detector test. Science! And exonerated. <laughs> Thank you, Wonder Woman. And as we know, those are super reliable. The people who believe in lie detector tests are like the original truthers. Okay, so good news. Not not the peeping Tom-ish youth. They were also interested in four Mattoon boys who had recently been discharged from the service that had been assigned to chemical warfare during the war. But they're Americans. They're soldiers. They couldn't possibly have done this, right? Who knows? So the Chicago Herald American mm. claimed an exclusive release from Commissioner Wright. Really? Why is he talking to them and not the Daily Journal, Gazette, Times, whatever? <laughs> so they stated that Wright had told them that they had narrowed their suspects to a chemist, so the mad scientist angle. I like it. And that he lived in a section of the city where most of the attacks took place, that he had enough money to build a basement lab. A lair. A laboratory. Oh, okay. And he was known as a brilliant in high school and college, but mm. was now known as kind of partially demented. Again, partially? Yeah, I guess so. Tendencies? He had tendencies towards dementia. Uh, okay. You know, Wright denied these rumors. He said, to quote, two of the four are amateur chemists and the others are crackpots. Good news, guys. Good news. We got a couple of each. Couple of each. We're going to just put them in a barrel and shake it up and see what falls out. So there was also some conjecture by Chief Cole. And he thought that maybe nervous women were smelling whiffs of carbon tetrachloride from a nearby war plant that was making diesel engines. As the boss man of the plant said, that's ridiculous. You are so silly. We've been making the <laughs> engines for years. Why would they suddenly cause this problem? Right. And their primary use of that chemical was when they deployed fire extinguishers. Like He called in people to like clear it too like he was quick about it he had people come in and do reports and all sorts of things very official sciencey stuff and they said eh, no wouldn't you like that to be true that would be so convenient that would be nice for you 
And so on September 9th, the Fitzpatricks uh, had an attack and the wife was brought in to be examined by a physician. A medical doctor? Crazy. Right? I think it's crazy that everybody was not seen by a doctor. I realize I have bias. Well, and it's also a different era, Doc. True, but this was still the era of modern medicine, while be the early era of modern medicine. Caveat, probably just some country doc. Who's like, yeah, she seems a little crazy to me. I don't know. Give her some whiskey and call me in the morning. What would they really say there? Like, what would a old-time male doc say to some woman that showed up just like, saying she was nauseated and vomiting and she swooned and couldn't move her legs? Well, honey, it's all right. We all know that these ladies get hysterical when their menstrual flow is too light. Seriously, that's probably what they'd say. Right. That is what he said, basically. Okay, well. Not exactly. I don't know the menstrual flow thing. He probably said it. They just couldn't print it in the papers. Right. Because that was obscene. So she was diagnosed with hysteria. Oh my gosh. Did she go to a room with yellow wallpaper? Was it covered in journalism? <laughs> probably so. That's where she started. <laughs> oh God. So after the doctor's reports reached Police Commissioner Wright, he announced that all future complaints would require a medical exam. I guess it's fair. I think it's fair. Again, bias. I understand that. Now, what's not fair is he told them that if they did not submit to the medical exam, they would be jailed for a night. That's a little extreme. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a bit. Skosh? Is that the technical term? So that was announced on September 10th. Now that day, a woman in a local theater house screamed about being attacked while in the movie theater. And caused a stampede out. It's literally what they called it, a stampede, which I thought only cattle could do. Good to know. And wildebeest, obviously, Mufasa killers. Then on September 11th, we have the last case, pretty much. Canonical case? Yeah. That was reported of the Mad Gasa of Mattoon. And that's Bertha Bentz. And after she was attacked, she found a woman's footprint outside of her window. Hmm. And it was also cited that they saw a heavy set, darkly clad figure running away. Well, that's obviously not the Mad Gasser. Right. It doesn't fit anything they've talked about so far. Unless he's shape shifting from the future. Or he is a sweet transvestite. From Why would that make him short? Well, I mean, he could, you know, he wasn't wearing his corset, but he was wearing his heels. Well, he definitely wouldn't be short if he's wearing Some his heels. you don't want to wear Spanx. <laughs> that doesn't make you short. <laughs> he was hunched. He was crab walking in heels. Of course, I would be remiss not to mention that on September 14th, there was a case reported in one of the Chicago papers of the local Mattoon fortune teller. She sounds fabulous already. Apparently, this tiny town is like a Hollywood tiny town that has like <laughs> a mad scientist and the crazy people and a fortune teller. And a peeping Tom-ish youth yes. and four servicemen who were secret war lords and things. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. the good old days. And this fortune teller heard a noise and smelled an odor. Say it ain't so. And walked into the other room to find... An ape man. Bigfoot? Wearing a gas spraying apparatus. <laughs> Bigfoot. She saw Bigfoot with a gas gun. Yes, we've solved two cases at one time. 
Was it George Hodel? Did he have a mustache? I have a feeling no one really took that one seriously. Yeah. So that one I just mentioned because it's hilarious. Okay. But that may have been the jumping of the shark. No, it was a little before that. It was a little before that. The jumping of the shark was really just the mass amount of them. That just kept, continued to escalate. Then also the doctor being like, this is hysteria. And the police were like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Tote hysteria, bro. You're so right. Bitches be cray. So the police jumped on that diagnosis. They're like, this explains everything. All right, that's it. There was never, ever, 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 ever a mad gasser. How silly of you people. How could you ever think that even possibly, maybe a little, that someone was do this? That's just, that's just bananas because ape man. And interestingly enough, on September 11th, not only did the police change their tune, but- Their mutt tune? Aw. <laughs> but so did the Journal Gazette. What? No, they said all, everyone was on board- all skepticism had been wrought from the town, and everyone believed, and there was no denying it, and how could anyone not think it was real? They just said that. I saw it. So on September 11th, the paper read, many Howler reports, few real. Oh, no. City calmer after weekend, they say. Two women believed victims examined at hospital. As friendly rays of morning sun spread across the tortured city today, sweeping away the night... Mattoon residents breathed easier, and hundreds of persons who bordered on hysteria in fear of attacks from the mad anethesis returned to a calmer state of mind. However, bedlam prevailed in the city both Saturday and Sunday nights when the police received dozens of calls from persons claiming they had smelled a mysterious gas sprayed by the phantom chemist. There were many weekend developments in the case which brought terror to local citizens and stirred the sympathy and imagination of the nation. Mr. and Mrs. Lewis Harden reported Sunday night that her sister, Miss Lucy Stevens of Allenville, and the Harden's nine-year-old son, Jimmy, were victims of the strange gas Saturday night at the Harden home while Mr. Harden was away. Miss Stevens and the boy had retired to twin beds in the Harden home a short time before the gas entered the bedroom, causing them to choke, cough, and suffer disorders similar to those experienced by earlier victims. Two women were taken to Memorial Hospital for treatment and examination after they told police that they had been attacked by the gas. The former woman claimed the attack occurred at her home. The other said she smelled gas as she sat in the theater. A physician who examined both women said he could not find evidence of poison or gas or other chemical and that his opinion was that they both suffered from extreme nervous tension. Both women were given sedatives and taken to their homes. Oh, take your Valium, sweetheart. <laughs> Both women were given sedatives and sent to their homes. So Some, Sometimes, are you like jealous about yes. that? Like a little? Yes. Like you'd be like, oh, sweetheart, have some Valium. Oh, you just need some rest. Oh, mother's little helper. If someone said to me, you just need some rest, I'd be like, yep, you're right. You're right. I'm you're fucking right. crazy. Right. <laughs> Hysteria all the way. My uterus is just acting up. Give me some Valium. It's so angry. And two days break. Yep. I'm good. How about some some mimosas with the Valium? Can we do that? What's the service like at this resort? After the physician's reports, police commissioner Thomas V. Wright ordered that all future victims be examined by a doctor. Miss Frances Smith and Miss Maxine Smith were also victims of the anesthetic prowler Thursday night. There's the repeat repeaters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Commissioner Wright and Chief of Police C.E. Cole, after a conference with the state attorney W.K. Kidwell Sunday afternoon, announced that check of patients recently released from mental institutions would be made to determine if there were any tendencies that would fit those of the local prowler. You have to look for the escaped insane patient. It's just required in all urban legends. It is. And no Nazis mentioned. And also they announced that people chasing police cars would be arrested. Right. Again, again, like people like trying to have a little bit of vigilante justice. Or get a story. Oh, you're right. Because there were a lot of reporters in town from all over the place. So in the September 11th edition of the Charleston newspaper... A United Press story quoted Wright using the term mass hysteria for the first time, saying, There's more than one madman in Mattoon. There's 15,000 of them. What we've got here is mass hysteria. So in a town of 20,000, 15,000 of the people were crazy. I think there was like 15,000 something people. No, I just like the idea that they're exempting. Fi- I, I don't want to believe that. I want to believe there are like 5,000 of us. We've got our shit together. We know what's really going on. Right, guys? Right, guys? <laughs> yeah. So on September 12th is whenever they kind of announce those possible suspects, but then that quickly kind of goes away. No one talks about that anymore because the coverage from the papers just falls to nothing. And then on September 14th... Oh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't do that. It doesn't do that at all. It's like... It's, no, you're right. It changes. It's like, oh, can you believe how silly that was? Well, but I should say that it how they cover it is different, but also it's no longer like big headlines. Right. And it's not these UP stories getting picked up with like photographs and reenactments and unsolved mysteries level you know, drama. Right, there was that reenactment photo of the Kearneys. Yes, where she went back into the room and her daughter pretended to be sleeping and she pointed at the window so that the father-in-law could see where the gas came from because you need to point at oh, it's a the window. Right. It's not Unsolved Mysteries. It so is. And then on September 14th, the Journal Gazette publishes a story titled All Quiet on Mattoon's Gas Front. Okay, and what they have done there is really interesting to me. But I am a parser of words, and I look for for things and motifs. And what they've done is recall World War I, where you have actual gassings happening that are horrific and leave people permanently scarred by using that all quiet on the blank front. And that is very much saying like you silly bitches like you silly people who thought this was a real thing you don't know what it's like to be gassed it puts it into perspective right and by saying that it's over and that everyone was just being silly it now stigmatizes anyone who might experience this no definitely and so after the september 11th changes the reports in the paper the statement that everyone has to have a medical exam, the reports suddenly just completely drop off, except for... How silly was that? The ape man! Oh, well, yeah, well, the fortune teller can't be told what to do. She's a woman rebel. Interestingly, two weeks later, Thomas Wright states, there's no doubt that a gas maniac exists... It has made a number of attacks, but many of the report attacks are nothing more than hysteria. Fear of the gas man is entirely out of proportion to the menace of the relatively harmless gas he's spraying. The whole town is sick with hysteria. 
Give me both. No, I feel like it's like he changed his tune. It's like he, he was worried that there was something going on. I don't know. It's an odd little quote. So this all completely abates. Right. And there are reports nationwide like, hey, Mattoon had some weird shit go on. They were crazy for a while. Right. Mass hysteria is everywhere. This term mass hysteria. And it was really solidified. And this was a case of mass hysteria by Donald M. Johnson, who published a paper, The Phantom Anesthetist of Mattoon, a field study of mass hysteria in the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology in 1945. Wow. So this guy had really good access. Yeah, he jumped right in, started interviewing everybody, interviewing the police, interviewing the victims. Right, and he was, like, from the University of Illinois at Urbana, right? right? Which is very close. It's the closest university, I think. So he says some interesting things in the paper. So he states that the only previous case of mass hysteria reported in the United States was this hysterical twitching incident in a Louisiana high school. Bad gumbo. They ate oysters in the months that didn't have R in them. And he puts a lot of evidence forward to why this is mass hysteria. Um, He says that symptoms are notoriously difficult to check, such as, you know, the nausea, the paralysis that quickly goes away. I mean, I think, like, people vomited in front of people. Yeah, that's the one thing that can kind of be verified by, like, an outside source. Well, and, like, the cracked lips and stuff. That was not in medically examined patients. It was, though, because the doctor came to the home of Beulah. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, like, that's kind of contradictory. It's murky. Yeah, it's murky. There's some... some And maybe her lips were just chat before. We can't... Like, that's the thing, right? Like, you can't say 110%. It's not like they turn blue. Another thing he says is about the dogs. A lot of people had dogs and guard dogs. And at least three cases, he has testimony that the family dog must have been gassed also, since they did not bark. Oh, that's so funny. Because everyone's got a dog. Why is your dog not barking? Well, that's such a, like, okay, so this is the equivalent of people, like, sitting around going, like, well, there had to be sperm somewhere. Couldn't they just test the sperm for DNA? I mean, why couldn't they just test the sperm? There had to be sperm. Sperm everywhere. Oh, because it's like a Sherlock Holmes thing. The curious uh, incident. Of yeah. the dog in the nighttime. Yeah. Well, the curious oh. thing about the dog is that it did not bark. Because they knew the person. Oh. Or he was chloroformed. One of the two. So they're like, clearly, this is what happened. They're like doing dog forensics. It's armchair detective work at its finest. Take that, web sleuth. Another thing he points out that is in order for this gas to work, so to be able to spray it through a window and to cause these kind of symptoms, it would have to be very potent, very stable, but also unstable enough not to affect like others entering the room. Like in the first case with Miss Kearney, like her sister enters the room just a little bit after. Why does she not have symptoms? Okay, so he's saying like the likelihood that this gas actually exists is minuscule right it would have to be someone that was skilled to create this and to distribute it not the peeping tom ish youth or the crackpots very unlikely so he's saying it's a chemist or no one but he's saying it's no one he's saying it's no one um it also you know the chemical leaves no after effects so it had to be something that's very short acting mm-hmm. so it really limits your scope and also like motive like why is he doing this if he was a peeping tom what's he getting out of it there's no like sexual gratification from it not he could just really. be a sadist. I mean, I guess so. I guess I could see that. Okay. He just likes to make people uncomfortable. Yeah, like if he just wanted to 
have power over them. Yeah, it's an ego trip. I could see that. I'm just saying what he says. And I'm just arguing with him. <laughs> 60 years in the future or more. <laughs> Where's Doc Brown? Find that crackpot. We're going back to argue. <laughs> this is what I would use time travel for. And these are the Just a Story Coyotes here to keep you company. We think they add a certain ambiance, so we're going to continue with the podcast. Enjoy our background singers. He thinks this is a case of hysteria. He is the one that kind of really sets it. Like I said, like he makes it a case study that you're going to study in your abnormal psychology classes in college. So you're going to go over Kitty Genovese and then this? Basically. Great. So glad science is here. And I, I want to include this little quote he has on his paper, and it's over a century-old quote about what hysteria is. I choose for an example what happens to a woman, somewhat impressionable, who experiences a quick and lively emotion. She instantly feels a constriction at the epigastrum, experiences oppression, her heart palpitates, something rises in her throat and chokes her. In short, she feels in all her limbs a discomfort which causes them, in a way, to drop. Or else, it is an agitation, a necessity for movement, which causes a contraction of the muscles. This is indeed the exact model of the most common hysterical accident, of the most ordinary hysterical spasm. Now, this guy writing like over a, you know two centuries now ago, he was talking about that idea of hysteria, which at that time was something that was like only seen in women. Doc Brown. <laughs> Doc Brown. Oh God. Okay, so that's really awful like any strong emotion they're gonna have this or like yeah they get it with a strong emotion the real only problem with that definition is the women thing so is he just describing anxiety we'll talk about that in a minute but okay so i'm sorry i'm just i'm just swimming in sexism over here my my feminist rage is is boiling and i'm feeling like i don't know my legs are dropping and there's a tightening of my epic what is it epic something i don't know you can't speak yeah. Can't catch your breath? That's the one. Sorry. Serapigastrum. Oh, those are big words for you, woman. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're just seething in anger. That's all they're doing. They want to say so much, but you're being such a dick they can't. That's all it is. I will unveil this mystery for you. You've got that stupid stick that's the width of your thumb, and you're going to beat them mercilessly. Should they say what they're thinking? And they are. They're thinking it at you so Hard and that feeling you're having right now, that pain that's their mind strangling you telekinetically. They're gonna go all carry on your ass one day. You just wait for that, Doc. So that's not what it is. <laughs> that might be true. We'll talk about that in a minute. So, an interesting thing about this is just like any story, just like any urban legend that might cause a little panic, and plenty of the urban legends we've talked about in the past have caused these little panics. Or big panics. Or big panics. Like the satanic panic. But they're, they're transmitted. They're transmitted in some way. You know, usually an oral transmission. Right, that's the traditional method. But also through writing, through newspapers. We said satanic panic, definitely oral, but definitely the papers too. Also think of the Halloween candy. Right, right. You know, as media becomes more pervasive, the spread seems more organic because there is more coverage, it's more widely accessible. So it's really strange that you have these cases breaking out after Geraldo every day or whatever. But I see what you're saying. There's some sort of tangible 
mode of transmission. It's not just out of the ether right. or the core form. <laughs> right. And pretty much everyone in the town read the paper. About 97% of people in the town read the Mattoon Daily Journal Gazette. Good on them for reading. That's in 1941, but it's, it's the closest number he had. And it's not a sensational paper. It's a little paper. It's like eight pages. And it was conservative and trustworthy. And so people believe. Was it fair and balanced? What they read. Oh, yeah, definitely. And of course, there's that first headline and that article we read. Yeah, man, that was like seriously like toxic. And then you see as the decrease in the headlines, the decrease in the stories and sensationalism occurs on September 11th and after. You have a drop in cases. I don't even think it's a, a cessation. I think it's a stigmatization. It's very true. That is part of us. Like, are you going to be the person who calls these policemen out to come look after you because you can't handle being alone in the house? Are you going to be that weak-minded? No, and that is an important point because after these kind of articles come out, there's a huge drop in not only calls about the mad gasser, but also in just prowler calls in general, even going into Halloween. When there really are weirdos in your yard? Right. Huh. And also there was just a general reduction in calls to the police completely, just for a few weeks. Right. There were weeks when there were no calls at all. And so this is like a contra suggestibility. So after hearing of the phantom anethicist, And then of imagination and hysteria. The people who ordinarily would have called the police when they heard a suspicious noise became critical and it inhibited their imagination. Right. And I think that even people who were like at home vomiting and do smell flowers are like, just not. I'm just not going to be that woman. I'm not going to the doctor. I don't feel like it. Like, I'll be better in the morning. If it's not better in the morning, I'll call. Right. They may have been just, you know, like an undigested bit of beef. A blot of mustard or a crumb of cheese. Yes, yes. Jacob Marley. No, it's not my last name. Marley. I thought you knew my last name. Marley's ghost. It's your last name. Scrooge McDuck. So another thing they he points out is that this also fits this classic descriptions of mass hysteria of who it affects. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. hysteria, hyster, uterus, women. Bitches be cry. Definitely. Science. <laughs> Science. <laughs> Here I come to save the day. So, and this is really not how women want to be perceived at this moment in history because they had a responsibility. Men are away at war and they need to prove that they can keep the home fires burning and they need to prove that they can step up and fill the void of these men who have been shipped off around the world to fight for freedom and they need to do their part. And it won't do to be some 19th century ninny swooning over every little thing. This is the time when women wear pants to work. <laughs> this is the moment. This is Rosie the Riveter. This is Rosie the Riveter. We can do it. You know, it is not doing it swooning over gardenias. And so he goes on to you know, state very definitively that the case of the Phantom Anethicist was entirely psychogenic. There's always the possibility of a prowler, of course, and it's quite likely that some sort of gas could be smelled at various times in Mattoon. He's kind of talking about that. Tetrachloride bullshit. But these things do not cause paralysis or palpitations. Hysteria does. 
The hypothesis of a marauder cannot be supported by any verifiable evidence. The hypothesis of hysteria, on the other hand, accounts for all the facts. So, let's look at the definition of hysteria. Bitches be cray! So, mass hysteria. We'll jump over that idea of hysteria because it's kind of used in a different form now. It's when your uterus is sad. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. We will one day. That's for another day. (laughs) Oh, we will. Don't you worry your pretty little head, darling. Just take your sedative and go sit there and look at the flowers. Don't they smell great? So, in mass hysteria, which has a lot of different synonyms, such as mass psychogenic disorder. That's my favorite. Collective hysteria or mass psychosomatic reaction. That's my least favorite. Or like that one. That's the most accurate. Yeah, but psychogenic is just such a fun word. So it usually has a sudden onset with dramatic symptoms, rapid spread, and rapid recovery. Okay. So this, without a doubt. Sounds a lot like what happened to the men and women of Mattoon. So it's in a predominantly younger female population. Younger's relative, but okay. These were women with children. It's not like they were adolescents. Mom got married when she was 16 at like this time. Mom was born at this time. Yeah, so it was even earlier. <laughs> Sometimes people say there's a triggering stimulant. Oh, like the smell of flowers? I call bullshit on that because there's not, I, I don't know, it can get, look either way. So it's like, is there a triggering stimulant? Not always, like not an external stimulant, but sometimes there is. It's complicated. Oh, you mean in general? Like you were yeah, calling that criteria of the diagnosis silly? Yeah, which, by the way, there's not a, like, criteria. I'm, okay. No, it's important to point out. You've offended me semantically, but okay. <laughs> no, it's important to point out that this is not, like, a DSM diagnosis. Oh, my God, it's really not? It's a psych- psychosomatic disorder. Unspecified. How can it be unspecified if you know it's... Unspecified is the catch-all. So there's also an apparent transmission by sight, sound, or oral communication. Okay, well, there wasn't that in this case. It's interesting. Yeah, but I would say that the paper counts. It'd be like saying the internet doesn't count now. Yeah, I guess. It's interesting, though. So I would want to write this up if I wanted to write about stuff, because this is different. This is an evolution. This is an evolution of mass hysteria. Right. That's why it's so interesting, because it's the next step. Oh my God, it's evolving. It's going to take over the world. But it is interesting because, you know, we have a large literate population. We have a widely circulated standard publication that is in the homes of the people who are having this experience. And I think that that can count. Just like seeing somebody could or hearing about it happening to someone, which no doubt they were. Because good Lord knows you can't live in a small town and not hear gossip. So just like Johnson was saying, these are symptoms you can't check. It's not like... You have a rash, or your blood count drops, or your labs change. There's nothing to check. It's purely like, I felt nauseated. I felt a little bit of tingling in my limbs. You can't prove it. In one report, they did state that they were screening the woman's stomach contents after they vomited to see if there was any evidence of poison. But, I mean, even if there were poison, wouldn't it have evaporated by the time they can get a test run? I think, no, yes, that'd be ingested, if it was ingested. That is something, it's like, I don't, I honestly don't know if at the time there was any sort of, like, what kind of blood tests they had for various inhaled poisons. 
right. for lack of a better what word. What was the talk screen like in 1944? Like now you could test for freaking anything. Especially arsenic, which is why you're still alive. That's right. Ooh, science. And another really important point about these symptoms is they're very transient and very benign. So they come and go very quickly. Oh, it happened again. When you weren't looking. No, clearly. When you walked outside for two minutes, it, it happened again. That's important because these are, in a case of mass hysteria, symptoms known as psychosomatic. Okay. So psycho meaning? Crazy. No. Psycho. No. Hitchcock. Yes, but no. <laughs> psycho meaning brain. And soma. Body. Soma. Brain body. Yeah. So people can have psychosomatic symptoms and numerous reasons, usually related to anxiety. And you can see this in any group of people, any body. And normally there are symptoms like this, a lot of times like nausea, abdominal pain, neurologic symptoms such as tingling or unable to use limbs at a certain time, and they don't fit a biological cause. And also, you know, when people get excited and scared, they can hyperventilate, mm-hmm. so breathe fast, and they can exhale too much carbon dioxide. So that low carbon dioxide level in your body can cause your muscles and your extremities to spasm, which can cause that numbness and tingling and muscle twitching. And so it's been shown that people have these symptoms, breathe into a bag, it can cure them. Okay. And so a lot of times when you have these heightened states of anxiety and you have these symptoms, you are misinterpreting your normal physical sensations. So that's pretty much like the definition of like a hypochondriac is that they are not like, oh, I'm always sick. I'm always sick. It's truly like misinterpreting your body's normal functions are normal even problems, like if you're like constipated or something, and going like, oh, well, this means I have colon cancer. Okay, so something actually is wrong with your body, yeah, maybe. Yeah, like something, like your stomach gurgles all Clearly the time. Clearly I'm dying. Yes. I must be lactose intolerant. Or like, I mean, your stomach gurgle, yeah, you're like, I'm lactose intolerant, I have celiac disease, I have food poisoning. Okay, and so... I think that the symptoms you described sound a lot like just a general panic attack, which is like what we have in vernacular now instead of a hysteric spasm or whatever. Right. I mean, it's on the spectrum. It's similar. Mm-hmm. You know, but you can have psychosomatic symptoms not related to an attack. So an attack is like a very acute event. Like it occurs over this like 30 minute period to where like, like I'll see this, like kids have something called functional abdominal pain, which is psychosomatic symptoms, basically. Like, they are just nervous about going to school or about getting their work homework done or whatever. And they'll all complain of abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, but they don't have problems on the weekends. Like, that's always the big, big flag. It may shock you to know that... I was very concerned with being a good student and being good when I was in kindergarten. Like, I actually cared. And I could not sleep during nap time. And it felt like it was 10 hours long. And at that time, every time I would lay down at nap time, I would vomit. 
And so I got special permission to be by the trash can. Right, because your anxiety, even though you weren't having like an anxiety attack, you were having physical symptoms from a psychological cause. Now, this doesn't mean you're making it up. That's an important point I always try to tell parents. Like, you're not making it up because your brain tells you when something hurts. Right. If you break your arm, your brain is telling you it hurts. Everything's from the brain. It's a true symptom. It's just what's causing it is not a is not cancer. Right. I was in like arguably MD would tell you. Yeah. Right. Uh, I was inarguably vomiting every day. You know, I wasn't doubt. making myself. Yeah. Like there was physical stuff you could you know observe this happen. If I laid down, I would vomit. Right. Because you'd probably like lay down and think. You know. Like your anxiety would kind of have a second. And it was like, oh God, I hope I can get to the trash can in time. You'd worry like, about it. It like, would get worse and worse. Yeah. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's this like negative cycle. It's a real thing. I was wrought with anxiety as a five-year-old. Only as a five-year-old. Already as a five-year-old. This also ties into something you've talked about for on the show, and the nocebo effect. The nocebos. So placebo effect is when you have positive thoughts about something and you get a positive reaction right like this is this tic tac that they've given me is minty fresh and it's gonna cure my cancer that i don't have exactly and so this is to where negative feelings about something like nap time yeah a negative association can produce bad results And there's a classic study in 1886 where a woman claimed to suffer allergies from roses. Hmm. And so how they proved that she did not have an allergy to rose was... I don't know. It gave her an artificial rose to smell. And so upon seeing the rose, she developed congestion, shortness of breath, and other symptoms of an allergic reaction. When the woman was told the rose was fake, the symptoms went away. And days later, she no longer had an allergic reaction among real roses. Do they fucking call it by any other name? I think so. Was that what the name of the study was? was? Paper, yeah. <laughs> so it's genuine physical manifestations within the body. Yes. The symptoms are real. You're yes. not faking it. You're not faking it. But the cause may not be what you assumed. Exactly. The cause may not be gas. It may be your Concern about the gas. Mm-hmm. The concern about the gas has driven many people to be anxious. I was waiting for a flatulence joke. <laughs> it took like an hour. We just don't do potty humor a lot. It's just not our thing. It's like everything else but. Yeah. <laughs> so without a doubt, there has been a history of mass hysteria throughout human society. Really? Yes. And it can be broken down into different ways. So Wesley identifies two types of mass sociogenic illness. Sociogenic? That's a new one. Yeah. So it's related to your... Social. Yes. And that is mass anxiety hysteria and mass motor hysteria. So anxiety hysteria being short-lived, sudden extreme anxiety following the perception of a false threat. And mass motor hysteria... Being this kind of slow accumulation of pent-up stress confined to an intolerable social setting. And it's characterized by dissociation, hysteronics, and alteration in psychomotor activity, such as like shaking, twisting, contractures. 
and usually persisting for like weeks or months. So it's a much longer acting thing. And so there's been some really interesting research about this. And a lot of people think that mass sociogenic illness mirrors your prominent social concerns. So looking at your context in which this is happening. So So this isn't happening in Mayberry, where everybody's happy and getting along well. I don't know, Mattoon sounds like Mayberry to me. Right, but World War II was going on. Exactly. So if we go back, way back. Way, way back, machine. Come with us, Sherman. Talking dogs and Doc Brown, all in one day. To the Middle Ages. And so way back then, things like mass motor hysteria were much more common. And attributed to religion, I'm sure. Of course. So religion was one of those huge stressors. Of course you had just life life in general. Shitting in the street. Yeah. Bubonic plague. All of that plague. Famine. Yeah. So you had these strict Christian religious orders that appeared in many covenants where you had these frequent breakouts of demon possession. And mm. one, one thing that's frequently cited is the case of Urban Grandier. Urban Grandier. Sound familiar? No. <laughs> All right. So that's the fellow who drew up that gorgeous contract. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. And uh, the contract was between a man and the devil. And you can find that on our Deal with the Devil episode. Further details. Right, but I'm sure you could think of another mass motor hysteria around this time period. Those of us who never forgot their goddamn Bible, which I actually said when I was a kid on my way to Baptist church in front of a deacon, things were going well for me. You might know that David danced until his clothes fell off. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Thus the statue. We've seen it. Following... In those illustrious footsteps. There was a dancing mania. There were lots of dancing manias. The dancing mania, or the St. Vitus dance, seized groups who were engaged in frenzied dance, often naked, so their clothes had fallen off like David's, which is cool because he was, you know, cool with God. The Bible says it's okay. The Bible says dancing naked is totally legit, bro. Haven't you seen Footloose? I'm okay with it. Haven't you seen Footloose? Is he naked? And the one I saw. I'm sure he was. (laughs) That bacon sizzled. Oh, no, no, that's worse than my dad joke earlier. Okay. So they would dance naked intermittently for days or weeks. So the symptoms that were associated with this mad naked dancing were Bonnaroo and Burning Man. Just kidding. They were screaming hallucinations, convulsions, chest pains, hyperventilation, sexually suggestive gestures, even sex. With some of these massive naked dancing, wait, I don't know if you can believe this, just buckle up. Some of these massive naked dances turned into orgies. Cool. I mean, like, I really think that it's just like following a very natural path. I think so too. And I do think that they are Bonnaroo and Burning Man. But anyway, so clearly these folks were possessed by demons. So they claimed. Did the people claim or did the authorities claim? Everybody. Claimed. Everybody was like, it's just like, demons. And they were like, why'd you have that orgy? And Ed Warren like, was like, demons. Demons. <laughs> and they're like, why are you here? And he's like, Doc Brown brought me. He's a demon. So music would be played for these demon possessed, naked, writhing orgy people. And they'd snap back to reality, which is so counterintuitive. They're like, just let them get it out of their system. <laughs> just play him some music. Put some, put some it on. Yeah, you like that, don't yeah, you? Yeah, some fish. <laughs> I was thinking more like Al Green, but you know, whatever. 
Marvin Gaye. And so they would have a pilgrimage to chapels. And somehow when the naked people got to church, they straightened up. So it occurred all over Europe. And it might have had something to do with the fact that the Black Death subsided around 1350 because it began around 1374. And it was like, were we just looking for problems? Were we just fake newsing? Well, just like more anxiety, more stress. Like besides just life. You also have the Black Death going on. So it's just that fear that this could come back at any time. So thankfully, there was a vivid description written by a German doctor who is called Justus Friedrich Hicker. A strange delusion arose in Germany. It took possession of the minds of men. Assemblages of men and women were seen at Aix de Chapelle, who had come out of Germany and who had united by one common delusion, exhibited to the public in the streets and in the churches the following strange spectacle. They formed circles hand in hand, appearing to have lost all control of the senses, and continued dancing together regardless of bystanders for hours together, the wild delirium until at length they fell to the ground in a state of exhaustion. Though there was originally like a central focus or nexus to the event, it continued to spread for four months to the east and west. Then... In like a northern, southern fashion. So most of you have probably heard of these dancing plagues. And just like the witch plagues, people try to blame this on ergotism. Oh, I know about that. Oh, really? Yeah. It's in wheat. There's shit on the wheat. Not really, but like... (laughs) I'm glad you know it. It's like a, a mold on the wheat. Right. So it is a fungus that can grow on the wheat so whenever you have a very like wet period or flooding the wheat is very wet then you can have ergot grow on the wheat and then if you consume the wheat you go batshit well not necessarily well you might think that god's telling you to you know even though you're a woman like maybe take control of an army and defend france maybe they try to blame everything including joan of arc on ergot poisoning so ergot is a fungus. It does cause this. It does cause these kind of hallucinatory symptoms, like like you're taking LSD. And so that is convulsive ergotism. So you have manic episodes and hallucinations, especially you have a sense of like flying. But the more common finding with ergotism is gangrenous ergotism. Ooh, you rot? I would rather fly than rot. He's with me. And so it's like, if there were like all these cases of ergotism, there are no reports of people like losing fingers or limbs and like the witch trials are in this or in any other case. So it's they like, wouldn't know they killed them before they could find out. Well, all the other people too, because everyone had it, right? Oh, everyone right. The witches would probably be the least hysteric among them. Exactly. An interesting thing I read that was a possibility for the cause of this is that This route, this east to west, north to south route through the towns that it affected was a pilgrimage route. Hmm. And so you would have pilgrims coming from all over Europe, traveling through the country, having customs and religious rituals that you had never seen and heard of, that you might think were really weird. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what, I want to get in on that? Or... They were like causing you massive anxiety because you're like, they are different. 
Holy shit, xenophobia is kicking in hardcore. I don't know what xenophobia means, but I feel it. Or maybe all of above. There's writing from the time describing the pilgrims as a sect of dancers mm. like coming through town are also like a curious sect. And so it's a possibility. It's an interesting idea I'd not heard before. So throughout the Middle Ages, you really have this motor mass hysteria. Mm -hmm. And as you go through time, we start to see more of the anxiety mass hysteria. And so in the 18th and early 20th century, you have the... Industrial Revolution. That's right. And so you have harsh working conditions, weak or non-existent labor unions, child labor. No, we never did that. It was terrible. The meat was always fine and we never put the kids to work. Just put your head down and go back to school. You know, like terrible working conditions, low wages. Everyone's life was being turned upside down from being more agrarian and kind of growing your own food and being your own person and being more self-sufficient to having to work as different factories. And right. So, and somewhere Ralph Waldo Emerson was crying. Not yet. <laughs> Later. So... In Lincolnshire, in England, is when you have one of the first incidences of this. In 1787. A girl on the 15th of February, 1787, put a mouse into the bosom of another girl. Oh my. Who had a great dread of mice. Well, that was not very nice. The girl was immediately thrown into a fit and continued with the most violent convulsions for 24 hours. On the following day, three more girls were seized with the same manner, and on the 17th, six more. By this time, the alarm was so great that the whole work, in which 200 or 300 were employed, was totally stopped, and an idea prevailed that a particular disease had been introduced by a bag of cotton open in the house. On Sunday the 18th, Dr. St. Clair was sent for from Preston. Before he arrived, three more were seized, and during the night and the morning of the 19th, 11 more, making in all 24. Of these, 21 were young women, two were girls about 10 years of age, and one man who had been much fatigued with holding the girls. The symptoms were anxiety, strangulation, and very strong convulsions. And these were so violent as to last without any intermission from a quarter of an hour to 24 hours and to require four or five persons to prevent the patients from tearing their hair and dashing their heads against the floor and walls. Dr. St. Clair had taken with him a portable electrical machine and by electric shock, the patients were universally relieved without exception. As soon as the patients and the country were assured that the complaint was merely nervous and easily cured and not introduced by the cotton, no fresh person was affected. So classic case of mass hysteria with a report from the time. And so a sociologist studying this you know, stated that the Lincolnshire cotton industry during the time of this outbreak you know, completely displaced the family's traditional economic and educational function, you know, placing a great deal of social and psychological stress on these female cotton mill employees. Right. It's very understandable 
And I think that it could feel like if you've been going through a really bad experience and you haven't allowed yourself to cry, like when that first mouse was put down the girl's bosom, you know, like she acted out and was able to like justify her like craziness, you know, like, oh, I'm afraid of mice. And then it just like wouldn't go away because she needed some kind of release. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a cathartic release in a way. So as time goes on, we get into the 20th century, we do see more of these anxiety symptoms. And you know, they're usually triggered by a sudden exposure to an anxiety-generating agent, usually described as an innocuous odor or food poisoning rumors. Hmm. Sound familiar? Gardenia gas prowler, anyone? Spendy band. And then now as time has moved on, there's that concern about you know, terrorism. And bioterrorism, right, of course. Right. But then those fears of these chemical and biological weapons have been around for a while. On April 22nd of 1915, German soldiers released chlorine gas in Belgium, killing 5,000 Allied troops and injuring 10,000. Before the First World War ended, 90,000 people on both sides were killed by poison gas, and over 1 million were injured. So this memory was fresh in the minds of the Mattoon people. Right. This would have happened to their dads or, you know, like their uncle or whoever. Like this is not some far off distant idea that they read about once in history class. Right. And this is also something that has not gone away. In 1988, there was a Navy gas attack where the U.S. Navy uh, evacuated 600 men from the barracks and 119 were sent to San Diego hospitals. With complaints of breathing difficulty, they were smelling this odd gas. But it turned out that there was no toxins, no food poisoning, no cause. This was a cause of mass hysteria. Wait, but these were dudes. I know. Odd, right? They all had uteri? Maybe. What is the Navy up to? Do you want to know that? No, no, I don't. No, don't tell me. God, the NSA is already hot on my trail. So, I mean, people have looked at different psychological and physical characteristics, just you know, gender and personality and things like that, trying to determine why some people are susceptible to this and not. And really, even though the the kind of classic definition is it's more in women, there's actually no evidence for anything. Well, and I think that something like the Navy, where you are so dependent on one another, right? Like you would rather believe your bunkmate than call him a lying asshole you would rather him not be crazy because he's the guy watching your back Yeah, but it's not that conscious oh but it doesn't like that's instinctual this guy is responsible for keeping me alive yeah i I guess that you're dependent on them it's like wanting to believe your parents aren't assholes but without a doubt these navy soldiers were definitely under a lot of stress and stress is funny things to people for example in tangayika which is now tanzania In 1962, there was a laughing sickness among adolescents. So everyone was laughing and couldn't stop. Yes. It was described as sort of a joyless laughter. It was um, almost a convulsion. And one of the lead researchers who really documented the case and made a big effort to study the epidemic said that in this type of situation, the person has no power over the stress and can come up with no other response. It has to express itself bodily. That gives the person a way to say, see, I'm suffering. 
Something is going on. I'm not just depressed or withdrawn. And the researcher's name is Hempelman. And he goes on to say that it wasn't just a group laugh, but it was an expression of people experiencing the same stress. People subconsciously copy a complex of symptoms, and laughter was just one of them. But this got so bad that the school actually had to be closed where these students were. It was closed for a year, and the symptoms persisted for about a year. That's crazy that it lasted that long, but there was so much built-up tension. They had recently won independence, and there were higher expectations from parents and teachers, and you know the environment was unstable and uncertain, and they just didn't know what to expect in the future, and stability is very important. And so, because this is, you know... Our show, we're going to have to throw a little Freud pepper on. Freud. Freud. Oh, my God. It's like, flash. Ah. Anyway. Savior of the universe. No. (laughs) Fine. What's Freud say? Freud says, we build up some magical psychic pressure and laughter lets us release it through whatever metaphorical valve we have for that. Maybe that's not a good theory for the role of laughter and how humor works. Statistically, in this case, this did not release anything. These people were suffering, expressing their suffering through that. Himpleman explains, nothing got better because they laughed. So an interesting point about all these cases of mass hysteria is that they are a diagnosis of exclusion. You have to rule everything else out before you say, oh. Oh, bitches be gray. Exactly. So there are several cases of mass hysteria that were not. That were not what? Mass hysteria. Oh my God, they were something else and they said it was mass hysteria? How insult, how rude. So there was a case in Puerto Rico of female garment makers that was claimed to be mass hysteria and was later traced to toxic fumes that had caused respiratory and degenerative disease and even led to some deaths. Well, take that, patriarchy. There was also a case of epidemic hysteria at a rayon plant in the 1930s that people now think was caused by carbon disulfide exposure. And in a British school in 1990, there was a case of classic mass hysteria. We have a high female attack rate, rapid onset and recovery, hyperventilation, line of sight transmission. So you see it happen. And then you start having symptoms. But tests later revealed that it was related to cucumber pesticide contamination. So girls just eat their vegetables more than boys. So we're just better. (laughs) Eating your vegetables makes you a better person. Did you know that? I did know that. Good. So like I said, you know, it has to be a diagnosis of exclusion. You have to make sure this is not some medical cause Before you say it's mass hysteria. So I don't know that that was done at this time. And I don't know that it really could be done. Because like we previously discussed, we don't know what the talk screens were like in 1944. But there's a man named Scott Maruna. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Scott, if you're listening. And he wrote a book called Mad Gasser of Mattoon, Dispelling the Hysteria. And he has a pretty... Interesting? Interesting hypothesis about who may have actually been behind the attacks on the citizens of Mattoon in 1944. And his suspect was actually the police suspect at the time, the main one, the one that 
was alluded to in that exclusive interview with Wright. The mad scientist. Correct. And this man's name was, I mean, it couldn't be any better. Farley Llewellyn, which is a great mad scientist name. Mad scientist. (laughs) And so the reason that this was kind of hushed up and never really pursued is because his dad was the owner of a grocery store in town. And it doesn't sound like, you know, the the kingpin of Mattoon, but he was also a really generous guy. And he was charitable, and a lot of the town was literally kind of in his debt. He would let people buy groceries on credit, and when he died, he stipulated that all debts to his grocery be forgiven. Nice guy. He's a nice guy. Like, there's a story about him bringing bags to a needy family whose father had died um, at Christmas time and he'd bring bags of groceries every Christmas Eve and he'd fill the bottom with one of the bags with candy. This is something they could never have afforded. Aww. So like hearts suitable. Santa Claus. He is. And he's like, so are, are your hearts suitably warmed to continue with the story? I think so. So he lived with his father and two sisters who were named Florence and Catherine. Farley would have graduated in 1927. Now, he was a three and a half year graduate. So he graduated early. And his little bio in The Riddle, which is the Mattoon yearbook, calls him a man of prodigious learning. Oh, big words. Yes. Oh, my God. The bios are so great. There's one. This is like, still waters run deep by a girl's picture. What does that even mean? I don't know. I think it's an insult. It sounds like an insult. It must be. Um, Like she'll never get it. Yeah. (laughs) Don't worry. It's fine. But this was the first yearbook that Mattoon ever put out. So we are only able to see Farley Llewellyn because they started the riddle that year. And it was named after a kid who died. It's not an allusion to Harry Potter. Don't get too excited. And so he graduated when he was 17-ish. So... That would make him about 34, 35 at the time of the attacks. And he went to the University of Illinois in Urbana. And he's a chemistry major. Hmm. Hmm. And he was a very good student. But after he finished school, he came back home to Mattoon because he was having some psychological issues. And he moved back in with his family. And later they put a trailer behind their house and allowed him to live in it. His father had means and was like, okay, let's see if we can make old Farley happy. Let's let him, you know, build a laboratory in the basement so everyone will accept him and be his friend. And he can live in the trailer behind the house. Yeah, it was going well for Farley. And he had a bit of a drinking problem. There was gossip around town that he was gay. And there were similar rumors about both of his sisters who never married. Well, of course, if you're like a loner non-married person you're gay well if you're not an athlete if you're not a you know how that goes i mean that's still true like if you're not mainstream acceptable if you're a little weird in a small town you're gonna get lots of labels put on you so he had his basement laboratory and the cellar doors opened right in front of his trailer and one day in mid to late august of 1944 there was an explosion Really? Yes. What caused it? Well, they wouldn't tell. They being the sisters and Farley. They would not talk to police and they would not talk to neighbors who were all very interested in what had caused the explosion. It had caused the trailer to lean at a slant. And Farley was much more concerned with repairing his laboratory than he was repairing his home. And he repaired it pretty quickly and went back to work. But what was he working on? Well, no one knows. As I said, he would not tell. But Maruna, the author of this book, 
is a chemistry teacher. And he theorizes that what might have caused an explosion like this and what might have caused the symptoms in the mad gasser's victims is nitromethane. Hmm, nitromethane. So that is like a chemical that does have a sweet smell to it. It's very oily and can easily evaporate. Mm-hmm. There's also a volatile liquid. Right. And so as Johnson had stated that this gas would have to be stable and unstable, he's like, uh, clearly it's a liquid. You know, like clearly this is a liquid that's sprayed, not something that's actually turned into a gas. And it causes minimal eye irritation, which is important because a lot of the candidates that were put forward at the time for the potential gas do cause major eye irritation would be thought of as tear gas. And it can cause distal anesthesia, which is numbness of the extremities and nausea and minor respiratory hindrance, burning and irritation of the mouth and nose, swelling of the lips. Which they may have had. Right. You want to see proof, but... We have testimony. And it can be synthesized easily and stored for about two weeks. And it smells a lot like cheap perfume. Two weeks. Mm -hmm. So that is about the length of time this was going on. Right. From the time of the explosion to September 11th, when the attacks stopped, is 16 days, which is roughly how long nitromethane would would remain stable. And at the time, Farley was 6'2". And around 200 pounds. So a tall guy. Yes. And you and I can argue about whether 200 pounds at 6'2 is thin or not. I think it is. Maybe if you're wearing black and running away in the night. Okay. I buy that. Not husky. He's not wearing husky jeans. No, no husker dues for Farley. And so Maruna thinks that originally he might have been trying to ignite the gas and kind of repeat the explosion. Why? Because he, the first three victims were all people that had ties to Farley. Really? Yes. And I pulled up a yearbook and I looked and I did find George Ryder and Raymond Rafe, who is not Urban Rafe, but I believe is his brother, and Aline, I think, in the yearbook. So they are there. So they, they were classmates. Right. And they were all in a very concentrated area near where the Llewellyn home was. So it's quite possible that he might have targeted these people that he thought somehow wronged him during high school. He was bitter about it, whatever. Their lives were going well. His was not. He was living in a trailer and he wouldn't play in a basement all day. Couldn't hack it in the big city of Urbana. So he was trying to kill them. Well, possibly. It seems like when the gas wouldn't ignite for whatever reason, he may have gotten disheartened and thought that he was just an utter failure. You know, I'd suck at this too. But then, journalism saves the day. First victims. Right. Victims. He has a title. He is the mad anesthetist. Maybe a genius. I mean, think about how the papers talk about him, right? Police say he must have been a genius. Right, mad scientist. And so there's a certain amount of cachet now that comes with just pumping a little gas in somebody's house. Hell, that's not too big of a deal. But the attacks change. They start to become everywhere. Geographically, they're not all close together. They're all these random people. Right. And so Maruna theorizes that maybe tall, slim Farley's short, fat sisters stepped in to help. Oh, so that would explain the final case where they found the woman's heel. Right. And there was also a report of a short stocky person running away mm-hmm. and maybe the lipstick too i don't know i don't know about the lipstick maybe that's unrelated i'm gonna go with unrelated <laughs> possibly 
It's theorized that the sisters might have been doing this because no one was looking for women. You know, they could have moved about freely. No one was shooting at women. So why did it stop? Well, Farley was sent to live in a mental institution on on or about September 11th. So you mean when the attack stopped? Yes. That's interesting. It is interesting. And it said that he remained there for the majority of his life. That's an interesting idea. I think the most interesting point of it is the chemical. I think the chemical is interesting. And I also do think it's interesting that, like, if his father was well-respected in town, it's possible that he and Cole could have gotten together, Cole or Wright, I guess, and he could have been like, I think it's Farley. Could we not put him in jail? He's got some- We'll go and we'll admit him to the asylum. And, you know, just don't tell anybody about it. Go with this mass hysteria thing. The doctors handed it to you on a platter. Please just keep our names out of it. You remember that time your mom was hungry and I bought our groceries. I see it. Like, I see some of the points he makes. But I just don't know. I don't know. I definitely, without a doubt, do not think all of the cases were caused by a mad gasser. I agree with you. The four-time victims? You're right. They may have been a little hysterical. <laughs> Maybe just a little. But if I was an elementary school principal, I probably would be too. But like Johnson states in his paper from 1945, and where the commissioner states very early on, you know, right after the cases occurred, that maybe there was a mad gasser and it spread to hysteria. And I think that's possible. I do think that's possible. Um, that's happened in other cases. You know, things will be linked that aren't really related, even with, you know, serial killers or whatever. Like today, even with our knowledge of crime, even with our knowledge of profiling, there are still things that get tied up or tacked on to cases that really do exist. Oh, like East Area Rapist was one that they had like false reports on. Um, Son of Sam inspired a mild hysteria. Zodiac inspired a mild hysteria where unrelated things were getting tacked on. People were taking credit for it. They didn't do it. People were claiming to have had encounters with this person. It just sort of spiraled. And I don't have much of a problem believing that three homes were hit in the same night. In a geographically close area. Right. You know, where everybody kind of had ties to one another, either the man of the house or the wife, you know, had gone to school together that doesn't strike me as impossible but even if there was a mad gasser from the beginning i think the sister thing that's ridiculous i like it because it's fun it's fun to think about the bat sister going and being really bad at his job you know like she's just not getting it together and she's not going to pass for six two and 200 pounds and she's leaving footprints everywhere and like accidentally spilling gas on a taxi driver which is a thing that happened where supposedly 70 people were affected by the gas like that story which is left out of a lot of things definitely points to mass hysteria right right either way you look at it that's like either 70 people really were affected and we could have done some testing or so many people weren't affected, and this really was mass hysteria. You know, supposedly that would have been her fault. But it seems so much more likely to me that this is just him going after a few people and it ballooning to become this extremely pervasive, psychogenic illness that's perpetuated by the constant coverage. Well, again, you have to look at the environment. 
I mean, look at the anxieties going on at this time. This is the end of World War II. There are articles all about escaped German Nazi prisoners. Everyone's worried about that Hail Mary end of the war attack that's going to occur. I mean, there's stress everywhere. The stress is building up and it is building to anxiety, mass hysteria. It wasn't only World War II that was bringing on this anxiety. You know, there's some other interesting things that were occurring at this time. You know, we might have a theory. We might have an original theory. Maybe so. Okay. So as I was perusing the Mattoon Daily Journal Gazette, I came across the ads for the movies that were going to be playing at the Mattoon Theater during this two-week span. And one of them was The Revenge of the Invisible Man or The Invisible Man's Revenge. I can't remember. And so that is a sequel to The Invisible Man based Mm -hmm. on H.G. Wells. Yes. Kind of science fictionish novel about a mad scientist Mm -hmm. who is able to create a formula that makes him invisible Mm -hmm. that also drives him mad. And he seeks revenge on many people that have wronged him. Right. So I feel like that plays into this idea that the police have that it has to be a mad scientist. I don't know that's necessarily what's permeating the consciousness of the victims. Like, if we were to suppose that this is a purely psychosomatic event. But the other movie that caught my attention was The Uninvited. Classic horror film. Right, and that was first released in February of 1944, but release schedules and were not like they are today, where a movie came out and people went to a midnight showing, it would stay in circulation for a long time, and engagements were shorter. Now, this film was directed by Lewis Allen. It was his first cinematic release. He had previously been a director for the stage. It starred Ray Millard, Ruth Hussey, Donald Chris, and introduced a young lady named Gail Russell. And this is the story of a beautiful house, Windward House, in England, where a young composer, Roderick, and his sister have purchased this stately home for a very reasonable price, much like Amityville. The longer they stay in the house, the more they are confronted with the reality that the place is haunted. They begin to hear weeping and feel cold chills. And eventually, they begin to smell mimosa, which is a flower and a drink. And they have to acknowledge that the place is haunted. This film is interesting because it is the first real piece of cinema that deals with the idea of ghosts as a truly supernatural, truly scary event. Before this, they were kind of slapstick, comedic, Abbott and Costello, and that Mickey cartoon that's so awesome. But they were just sort of buffoons. And here we have an intelligent haunting that's portrayed as genuinely sinister and capable of harming the living. Estella Meredith is an important and central figure in the film. She's a young girl, about 20 years old, who has always been fascinated with Windward House because it's where her parents lived when she was born. Now, her mother died when she was three years old by falling off a cliff because this is a movie set in, you know, a gothic manner. And that's how everyone must die. She's always felt that there's some way that she connects with her mother when she goes into the space. Now, her grandfather forbade her from ever going there, but she strikes up a romance with Roderick and kind of cons her way into the house. Throughout the film, it's made abundantly clear that the smell of flowers heralds the bad ghost. Right, even the trailer, she's like, 
Don't you smell that? It's flowers. It's flowers. It's it's my mother. <laughs> she sort of loses control of her faculties when she is smelling this stuff and is compelled to do things she wouldn't otherwise do. She comes under a form of possession. In the film, she starts speaking a language she doesn't speak. Everything's hazy. She has, you know, kind of breaks from reality. Very panic-inducing. At one point, she believes that the spirit is going to be kind and, like, reunite with her. And it ends up attacking her, and she's in a full panic state. But anyway. But, I mean, could everyone in town have seen this movie, or even those people? Okay, so, there was a thing that the movie studios did where they would reproduce films as radio plays. Well, everybody's got a radio. Everyone's got a radio. So The Uninvited with Ray Millard aired on August 28th, 1944 at 9 p.m. on WBBM. So two to three days before this happened. And this went on at the same time that the trailer would have been playing at the movie house because it began showing in Mattoon on September 10th of 1944. So they had a particularly heavy dose of The Uninvited. They would have had access to the radio drama and they would have seen the trailer and they would have been able to go see the movie, which September 10th is the day that the woman in the movie house claimed she'd been attacked, and I would give money to know which movie she was seeing. I want to know. I want to know. But so, with the flowers and the movie and the radio, which would have been playing when these people were home alone waiting for their husbands to get back from driving taxis or whatnot, I can see why the smell of flowers would be a uniquely anxiety-inducing stimulus. It's an interesting idea. Thank y'all. But whether this was caused by a movie or a radio play, whether it was caused by the hysteria related to possibly a real mad gasser or a sex fiend or a mad scientist roaming the streets prowling around your window seal seal your windows the idea that all of this all this anxiety and the pressures of modern life or really life in general can cause true symptoms can cause illness can cause us to need this release to be able to get this out of our system. I don't think that's just a story. Nah, that's not just a story. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen.